All right, let's transition to our brand new series for this uh, season, Love is a Verb. And today I want to focus on this, these two words, love does. Can you just say that out loud? Say love does. All right, let's hear what the writer in 1 John, beginning at uh, chapter 3, verse 16 says. This is how we know what love is. You see, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. and We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity or compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words of speech. No, love does. Let us love with actions and in truth. There's the reading. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 4, around verse 38, the disciples with Jesus on a uh, boat, they're making their way across the Gennesaret Lake. Huge storm comes upon them. The boat begins to fill up with water. They're scared to death. They look for Jesus. They can't find him. Someone says he's down in the stern sleeping. They go down there and they wake him up. Master, master, wake up. He's just sleeping soundly as they're in the midst of this storm. They are frightened. Of, they are fearful for their lives. Master, master, wake up. And then comes this question. Do you care if we drown? Or in the language of the King James Version, do you care if we perish? As quietly as it is kept, there are tons of Jesus followers. As a matter of fact, all of us in some way or another, at some point or another over the course of life, we tend to ask the question whether we verbalize it or not. Master, do you care? Jesus, do you care? The writer of this text today is a disciple of Jesus who was with him on that boat. He watched as Jesus uh, got up, went up to the deck. And the text says that he rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves. And all of the craziness settled down and he saw them through to the other side. This guy, John, who's writing this text, uh, was also with Jesus through the season of Jesus' crucifixion. Three days later, he would experience a resurrected Jesus and for the next 40 days, interact with this resurrected Jesus. And so in John's time, as he would look around and he would see Jesus followers now being martyred and persecuted, going through all kinds of pain, he would recognize that Jesus followers would be asking this question, how do we know that you care? And so here was his answer to them. He said, because, see, in, in the story I just told you, Jesus immediately gets up, he rebukes the wind, rebukes the waves and, and everything comes down. The victory is won immediately. But in life, the victory is not always immediate. The, the miracle does not always occur so quickly. Oftentimes we're going through long seasons of loss and grief and pain. And so John writes to them and writes to us and says, if you want to know that Jesus cares, you really want to know what love looks like. How do you know that you are being that you are loved by God in the midst of all of the horrible things that happen? He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Everybody shout laid down. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So for the person who's watching me and you're in the middle of a divorce or that spouse or that parent who's watching me and your loved one has been tragically killed by some freak accident that should have never happened. Or for that person who 
who uh, has just lost your job or you've just been diagnosed with a horrible disease and you've been praying and praying and praying and still things are going the wrong direction. And you're asking either verbally or quietly, how do I know Jesus, that Jesus cares? How do I know that you love me in the midst of life coming unglued? Here's his answer. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down, laid down, voluntarily lays down his life for you and for me. And in that act, he conquers permanent death. He disempowers it. In that act, he disempowers the guilt and shame that comes from our sins and our mistakes and creates a way through that we can have brand new life again and again. How do I know that he cares? This is how we know Jesus voluntarily lays down his life for us. Somebody shout love. Love. Jesus kind of love looks like this. First of all, it is extravagant. Can somebody say extravagant? Jesus laying down his life, that's way over and above. Secondly, it's unconditional. He laid down his life for you and for me before we were born. Looking down the line of time, seeing all of the challenges that we'd have, he laid down his life, whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, doesn't matter. He's already done it. His love is unconditional. And lastly, it's sacrificially generous. It costs Jesus something to create salvation and hope for you. It's generous. It's a, it's a lavish gift for you and I to grab hold to. So when dis- believers, when disciples, when Jesus followers ask the question, how do we know that he cares? The answer comes in how he loves us, right? This is how we know he loves. He laid down his life for us. But the writer of John also knew that others are asking the question. And they're not Jesus followers. They don't come to church. They're not, they don't necessarily hear a message like this, right? They're not unbelievers. And so, so the question is, well, how, how does the world know that God loves them? How does the world know that Jesus cares? And what John is saying to the people he's writing to, which is us, he's saying, well, you've got to replicate the love that Jesus has poured into your life. You have to replicate that into the world. So that when people experience you and experience the love that's flowing through you, that is extravagant, that is unconditional, that is sacrificial, that is generous, then they get to know that Jesus cares, that God loves. He makes it practical. Here's what he says. If anyone has material possessions and sees, notice that word, sees, a few weeks ago, I talked about how the brain, we have sometimes train our brain to see what we so often miss, especially people who are struggling and poor and marginalized, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity. That word means compassion on them. Well, how can the love of God be in that person? He says, that's a hard hitting statement, right? Challenging all of us. Dear children, he says, let us not just talk a good talk. Let us not just preach a good word. Let us not just sing good Christian songs. Let us not love with words or speech 
Oh, no. Let us replicate what Jesus has done for us. Come on now. And let us love with actions. Can somebody just simply say, love does. Yeah. Jesus kind of love does. You know, um, earlier this week, I was uh, making my way uh, to, the, to my office to put the final touches on preparing for this message. And I drove up to my office, parked in the parking place, opened the door. And when I got out of the car, there was a gentleman lying on a mattress. And I got there. I got, I got to the office. I don't know. It must have been like 7 o'clock, 6.30. Lying on the mattress. Obviously, I slept there all night. Almost tripped over him. And he was asleep. I didn't bother him. And I went, put my briefcase and stuff into the office, and decided to go down to the Starbucks to get me some coffee and a little breakfast sandwich. And as I was walking, I was just wishing that I could do something about his, him being unhoused. There was nothing I could particularly do. I wish I could do something about his mental health. Not all unhoused people suffer from mental health, but there's a certain percentage in this particular person because I've interacted with him before. I know he's suffering from mental health. I wish I could do something about that. I couldn't. I was thinking about this. I went on in the Starbucks, guys, and uh, got me some, got my coffee and stuff, and I came back. I was walking towards the office, I could look and see the guy still lying on the mattress. I've got my bag and my coffee, hot coffee, hot sandwich, and I'm hitting up the stairs. And then I thought, I can't do anything about getting him housed. I can't do anything about his mental health. But you know what I can do? I can go over there and give him this warm sandwich and this hot cup of coffee. I can go back and get me another one. Well, love does. Can you just say that? Love. Love sees and love does. All right, guys, that's what we're practicing here when we talk about being rich to others in this campaign that we're engaging. Because this is not natural. You know, it's not even natural for me. I've got to keep working on it. I've got to keep working. Because it should have been my first thought when I got out of the car and I saw the guy. My first thought should have been, let me go down and get him something to eat and drink. That was not my first thought. It just wasn't. So as we practice being rich God's way. Say say that. Say, be rich God's way. It it trains our brains and trains our hearts to see what we often don't see and to reveal the love of God to a whole world that desperately needs to know. See that fellow lying on that mattress? You know the question he probably has? Does God care? And he's never going to come and hear a message like this. But hopefully he experienced the message. My brothers and sisters, John says, love not through just eloquent words or singing. Love through action. Love does. All right. This is what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Let's just anchor in our text uh, for the rest of the day. Here, here's, here's what he says. This is our Be Rich text. He says, tell them, the people in your congregation, all of us, right? Tell them to use their money. 
in a different way. See, remember, I said that the Jesus, the way he loves, he's extravagant, that he's unconditional, that he's sacrificial and he's generous. We know this because he laid down his life voluntarily. But you know, the way the, the world is so broken and so messed up, it tends to train us to be the opposite of that. Rather than be extravagant, we become thrifty or stingy. Rather than being unconditional, we become contractual. I'll do for you if you do for me. Rather than being, being willing to sacrifice for others, we tend to learn how to sacrifice others for ourselves. And generous? Well, only when it's convenient. But that's not who God calls us to be. And, it's, and, and we're all, there's a range in, in all of this, what I've just described, right? And we're in different parts of the range. And you may be in high school or middle school, but the question is, where do I kind of line up here? Well, uh, this is why we're practicing together. Here's what he says. So tell them, look, let's start figuring out how to use our money, not just for ourselves, but to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with, always being ready to share with, you know, the guy lying on the mattress has slept there all night. Others who are asking the question, does Jesus care? Now, in order to get into this text, you got to see the verse that comes just before uh, this text, right? Uh, here's the context. Here's what Paul says. He says, Timothy, here's the most important thing, one of the most important things you can teach your congregation. Teach those who are, watch this, rich in this world. Stop right there. So one of the reasons why we are kind of deceived into not being extravagant but thrifty and perhaps stingy, not being unconditional but contractual, not being sacrificial for others, but rather sacrificing others for ourselves, is because oftentimes we just don't see ourselves as being rich. If, if, you're, if there's somebody else, uh, you just say out loud, can you just say, I'm richer than I think. <laughs> can you just say this out loud? I'm richer than I feel. Yeah, yeah. Here's the point right here. Here's the next point. We are richer than we ultimately feel. And richer than we think, those of us who are in America. Let me just give you an example. Uh, I think the World Bank published some statistics the other day, and they, they, they said that the per capita um, kind of annual income globally, you add up all the people across the world, the per capita annual income is about $10,000 a year. Another report suggests that if you have, in terms of the money that you earn uh, and property that you own and stuff in your savings account, if it equals about $4,000, you're wealthier than half of the world's population. Can somebody just say out loud, it's about perspective. It's about perspective. Now, this is not to suggest that people are not struggling. There's some of you looking at me and watching me right now. You are certainly struggling. There's no doubt about it. If you live in Silicon Valley, the price of housing is extraordinarily high. It's outrageous. There are people who are living um, in garages with other family members. Uh, 
I don't want to downplay the fact that we are not struggling, that tons of people are struggling. And yet, I want to say that even for many of us who are struggling, the cell phones that we have in our pocket and the tennis shoes we have on our, shoe, on our feet, the money that we pay for the cell phone and the tennis shoes is more than some people earn in six months or a year in other parts of the country. We're richer than we think. Well, why don't I feel rich? Well, there's several reasons why I don't feel rich. The first reason is we don't have financial margin, right? Oftentimes. When I was a about 16 years old, I had my first real substantive job, and I worked uh, in what we call Harlan Parkwood back in Cachetta, Louisiana. And, and when the first time, when it came time for me to get paid for the very first time after about a week of work, uh, Mr. Willie Logan, who was the guy that I worked for, he didn't give out any checks back then. Uh, he, I went over to his house. He pulled out a big wall of money, ball of money, and he, he paid me yeah, 20 40, 60, 100, 120. I said, hey, yeah. Put that in my hand. And suddenly, I had $120 that I had earned for the week. And I felt so wealthy. I was like rich, $120, 16 years old. <laughs> well, you know why I was rich? Because I didn't have to pay rent or mortgage. <laughs> I didn't have to pay any health care coverage. I didn't have to buy any groceries. Come on. Uh, 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 you know, I weren't paying any insurance on any car. I weren't paying any car. No, I weren't paying any insurance. I had lots of financial margin. I had $120 I could basically do. Now, I ultimately would learn how to contribute to the house and house responsibilities for sure. But in that moment, I had margin. So many of us, we make money, but we, we don't work in a way to have margin. Margin. Now, in order to have margin, you got to do one of three things. One is you got to reduce your spending, you got to increase your income, or you got to increase the amount of money that you're saving. Now, the hardest of those three ultimately usually is reducing spending. You know why? Because our spending oftentimes is tied to our appetite for things. And so, part of what it means to discipline ourselves to be greater instruments for God's grace in the world. It's a discipline, our appetite for things. The second reason that we often don't feel rich is we don't count our blessings. We're surrounded by blessings that we are oblivious to. We're surrounded by blessings. We are, we are swimming in blessings that we are not conscious of, that our brains do not see, our brains do not record. This is why I often say to people, listen, if you're having a tough time, uh, you should make a Thanksgiving list and begin. Don't just count your money. Count your blessings, guys. Listen, if you live in America, that older, the poorest person here in America, more often than not, is way more wealthy than the poorest people in other parts of the, of the world. Here's why. You know, that homeless guy that I saw who was sleeping on a mattress in a horrible way, there's actually local homeless shelters that are in the neighborhood that he actually could ultimately end up to if he got sick and he went to a local hospital. We have some great hospitals here in the Bay Area. They couldn't turn him away. They'd have to take care of him. 
if he went into emergency. That doesn't exist in many parts of the world. If you are Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and you're elderly, it may not cover all your expenses, but in so many parts of the world, there is no support. You have that if you're in America. Uh, If two of the schools that we're supporting, one in Nigeria, the other one is in Guatemala, and we're a part of, of of, 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 of a cadre of people who are supporting those schools, and if our support went away, and if those schools closed down in Guatemala, the children would have no school to go to. There's no public school there. They would, they would end up going to the local dump, working with their family in the local dump. In Nigeria, they'd end up working in the fields, or they would have to walk 20 to 30 miles to get to the closest, and then they would have to pay to go to school, which they wouldn't be able to afford. So that means they wouldn't go to school. So the worst public school in America, and we have some pretty bad ones across the country, is still better than no school at all that exists in so many parts of the world. Count your blessings. You know, I I just challenge you to do this. Just take the next 24 hours and just think about what are the blessings that you have in your life. Just write them out so you can see them, so you can begin to process them mentally, right? Write those blessings out, you know, Yeah, maybe you cried all night, but did you cry all night in a warm bed with a roof over your head? Thank God for the warm bed and roof over your head. Maybe you didn't have pancakes or oatmeal to eat this morning, but you had Fruit Loops and some Pop-Tarts. Thank God for the Fruit Loops and the Pop-Tart. Put that on your Thanksgiving list. When you, when, you, when, you, when you went to the closet, maybe you didn't have uh, the brand new suit that you would like to have purchased from Neiman Marcus or from uh, Macy's or wherever you want, but, but you had a selection of clothes that you could pick from. I remember growing up, when I got ready to go to church, I had one Sunday going to meeting shirt, suit, and one tie was a clip-on. Thank God for what you Thank God the fact that there's health in your body. You may not know what tomorrow's going to bring, but today you woke up, you're able to, 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 to dress yourself, clothe yourself. You're able to process your way through life. Write those blessings down. You are rich with blessings. And when we begin to absorb just how blessed we are, it creates within us a reservoir of gratitude, and it's, it's a whole lot healthier. It's a whole lot more powerful to live life out of a place of gratitude rather than out of a place of, of feeling unloved, overlooked, and having nothing. Because at the end of the day, you're blessed. Here's the last reason why we don't always feel rich. We struggle with contentment. You know you struggle with contentment if you can, if you can finish this statement. You open your closet. It's packed with clothes from one end to the other. And you look back and forth. And you hear yourself say out loud, I can't find anything to wear. You know, struggling, and so you have to. You, I got to go buy me something because I can't find anything to wear. Pack closet. Or you open your refrigerator; it's packed with food, 
and your covets are packed. And you're looking and looking and saying, yeah, I can't find anything to eat. I got to go buy me something. Yeah. So often we, we, we might decide to take some of the clothes out of the closet and give them to goodwill. That is a wonderful thing to do. That's so nice to do. But that's really not generosity at its best. It's not generous per se to give people stuff you don't want. That's thoughtfully disposing of stuff. It didn't cost you to do that. Contentment. Paul says, hey, here's the secret I've discovered. I've discovered how to be content. Well, that's, that, that, that has a lot to do with how God is working with us in our hearts. Okay. That's why we don't feel. Now, notice what the text says here as we hustle to a conclusion. It says, listen, Timothy. I want to make sure that you teach them, those who are rich in this world, to be aware of some of the dangers of being rich. Right? Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, let me just highlight the word. Everybody shout enjoyment. God doesn't want you not to enjoy, right? I, I told you that the phones we have, the shoes that some of we're wearing, that, that the resources that we have, when compared to where people are across the world, that, you know, uh, uh, you know what we wear on our shoes is more than some people earn in a year. That, that's not meant to make you feel bad about the shoes you have or the phone that you have, whatever the case is. It's just to give you perspective. If God has blessed you with resources, he certainly wants you to enjoy but 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 if you can enjoy out of a place of gratitude, there ought to be some overflow in your life. Come on now. And that and that and that what God wants you to be able to do is to live out of a place where where your heart is moving towards extravagant, unconditional, sacrificial generosity. And if we do that with our money, by the way. Then we can do it ultimately in every other aspect of our hearts. So note these two risks real quick. Two, two dangers you want to be aware of. The first is pride. You just got to be careful, guys. If you have a lot of resources, if you got to go, if you, if you were able to go to a great college, you graduated, you got a great degree, you, you, you started up a startup and it's, it's, it's turned into a multi-million dollar effort, or, or, or you're living in a fabulous neighborhood, you drive a nice car, you just got to be careful to make sure that this doesn't, this doesn't seduce your mind so that when you see the fella lying on the, on the cart, that you make a judgment statement about him or about her, that you conclude that you're smarter, that you're better, that you're superior. You got to be careful of this pride thing. Because at the end of the day, whatever you have, every good and perfect gift, including your brains, including where you were born, including the school you got, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Watch your pride. And the second thing he points out is this, misplaced trust. You've got to be careful not to put your trust in your money. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, in chapter 18, I think it's verse 11, it says that often wealthy people imagine that their wealth can become 
a wall of safety around them. And so for so many of us, our goal in life is to accumulate more and more and more money. That's the, that's the primary focus of our lives. And yet we've learned during this pandemic that it makes life more comfortable, but it doesn't protect you from disease and death and toxicity of relationships. No. It's not trustworthy. Put your trust, Paul says, teach the people in your pews, Herman Hamilton, teach the folk who are watching you to put their ultimate trust in God. Let me ask you a question. Which, which statement makes you more, feel more insecure? No God, no money. Which one helps you, makes you feel more insecure? Well, think about it this way. If you were at the end of your life, which statement would make you feel more insecure? No God, no heaven, no eternal life, or no money. If you're prepared to trust God at the end of life, above everything, then you trust God through life. That brings us to this final uh, text. So we're in back where we started. Here we are. Tell them to use their money to do good. Herman Hamilton, they should be rich in good works. How they're blessing others. That's how they should determine their wealth. That they're being generous to those who are in need. Always being ready to share with others. And ultimately, here's the point. Here, here it is. That means that we've got to cultivate through our prayer life, through our spiritual discipline, through our, by training our minds to see what we often walk past. We have to cultivate, number one, gratitude so that we can live our lives out of a place of overflowing gratitude for the blessings that God has already given us. Not, not, I know we're praying for more, but for what we already have, that we can live our lives not only out of gratitude, but out of a place of faith that our ultimate trust is in he who is the source of all life. And that we can live our lives here. Generosity. That we don't sacrifice others for ourselves. That we are the people of God who sacrifice for others. That's what we're training our hearts and minds to do as we collectively serve God together by learning to be rich together God's way. You know why? Because love does. Amen? And amen. God bless this message to be internalized as we move forward. May our hearts be blessed, transformed, and strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to challenge all of us in this section to take a step towards love. So aim your phone, uh, your camera on your phone at the QR code right here and go to our next uh, connection card. And under our connection card is next steps with Jesus. And for somebody, this is the day, this is the moment that you need to check that box that says, you know what? I want to be a Jesus follower. I want him to be Lord and Redeemer of all my days, all my dreams, and ultimately of my destiny. Make that decision now.
There are some other choices there as well. If you check any of those choices, there is an option for you to check to indicate you would like for somebody on our team to call you to help you to figure out, okay, where do I go from here after making this commitment? We're ready to do that for you. Now, under the response to the message, this is a collective step that I hope that we will all take together today. You know, Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren says, we become what we commit to. So I'm going to ask you to commit to engaging with us as we practice being rich God's way. So I'm asking you to commit today, right now, to praying on a weekly basis, uh, to loving by organizing hygiene kits and giving generously uh, so that we can meet our generous uh, financial goal that we're going to give all that money away to support people. If you're willing to be with us in this effort, just simply check uh, the box right there uh, to indicate that you're in with us uh, in terms of our Be Rich to Others effort. Take a picture of this reflection question. I want us to make sure we wrestle with this. What do I wrestle with the most? Is it discontentment? Is it pride? Is it misplaced trust? Trusting something other than God? Let's identify that. 